Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome or welcome back to the Thoughts That Manifest podcast. I'm Elle, and I am a mindset and manifestation coach who aims to inspire you to awaken your mind to the limitless potential that is within you. Hello, everyone. Courtney and I are back today with another episode, and we are here just alone today kind of excited for this. I feel like it's been a hot minute since Courtney and I just recorded a podcast episode together. So we're really excited about this one. We're going to be talking all about self-abandonment, codependency, creating a safe space for yourself, as well as some self-love, self-care tips. So if you're excited, let's get into it. Hello, Courtney. How are you today? I'm good. I'm burning lavender sage I bought yesterday. I love it. So I guess we can kind of start this episode off. What we should do is call ourselves out on our bullshit. And what I mean by that is let's recognize how maybe we have been self-abandoning ourselves as of lately. Oh, yeah. I have like a macro coach or whatever, full disclosure, because I'm trying to like get back on track with like eating and developing a healthy relationship with food and everything. And we do like weekly check-ins and I just had one. And then I realized that what's getting in my way the most, like my non-health fitness food wise is myself because I just inadvertently want to be lazy and want to eat food that isn't actually good for me, but tastes good in the moment and feels good. And so like my biggest roadblock, honestly, is probably myself right now. Hmm. It's from like, not, it's not like not from being disciplined. I don't know what it's actually from, but it's just like, I'm eating too much of the food that feels good and tastes good, but I know isn't going to help me reach my goal, but yet I'm paying money to someone to help me reach a specific goal. That is interesting. That's interesting for sure. Now, my question to you would be, See, now this is where I find goal setting can be such a slippery slope, right? Because you have this goal in mind for your health and wellness, but at the same time, it's like your mind or your body is telling you, oh, I want comfort right now. I don't care about, you know, being like, I don't know. Like, it's like your body's kind of like, I need comfort. And do you think that's coming from being burnt out? Um, what's interesting is actually like my, the macro coach that I have is really interesting in the sense that I feel like she's not like other like fitness influencers. It's like, she's not just like on you to reach a specific goal by a certain time. She's more so like very holistic about like, okay, well, why do you think you like need that food? And like, how do we incorporate like, you know, the things that you like in a, in a way that like, you don't feel like you're not getting them at all, but you're able to still reach your goals. So it's really nice to be honest with her because I feel like a lot of the time what happens is there's like all this shame around like when you set a goal and then you do something that you feel like you need to do but isn't in line with your goals where she's like, okay, well, why do you think you're getting in your own way? And then she even takes it a step further and she's like, why do you think like you're kind of self-sabotaging? Is it that you need a break? Are you not ready? Is there like some type of like thinking error in the way, which is really nice because it's almost like therapy. I love that. Yeah, I think it's so important to be mindful of how we talk to ourselves when we're not reaching our goals in time or like 
not on time, but more so on this expected deadline that we set for ourselves, right? Because in reality, there's really no such thing as a timeline. It's all kind of constructed by ourselves where we're like, we need to reach this goal by this timeline or else I'm going to feel some sort of shame and guilt for not meeting that goal. It also puts a lot of pressure on you to be a specific way or do specific things that I think like sometimes, like you said, aren't in line with what you actually need. Mm-hmm. And I think what's more important is like doing self-check-ins of what what do I actually need? Because sometimes, yeah, it's important to move your body. But what about when you just need straight up rest? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then for me lately, I feel like, well, actually lately, no, this is not a lately thing. This is like an everyday thing in me just continuously just not being able to freaking change it. This is like the something I'm so stubborn with. And it's just making the time to do little things that just relax my mind. Because for me, I'm the type of person who needs to be constantly stimulated mentally. So If I'm watching like a TV show, for example, gone are the days where I can just stay focused on that one TV show. It is so hard for me to not get bored. It's kind of insane. It's like I need to be doing something on the side. And oftentimes it's like my new obsession right now is putting together all these graphics for astrology. And it's so much fun for me and it's really helpful for people. But like I spend hours every day doing this. Like hours. I'll just sit there and I'll have like a show playing in the background and I'm just creating them. And when I'm not doing that, I'm doing my client work. And there's no time where I'm just sitting there and kind of being like, I don't know, a couch potato or like sleeping other other than going to bed. But you're literally like, because you're working for yourself and you're passionate about it, you're not actually taking a break. Yeah, that's and, and that's the thing. And it's and what's interesting is It's not that I even feel like I want to in a weird way, because I think because I have so much passion and joy for what I do, I get excited about that. And that actually keeps me going. But deep down, I realize that I'm not prioritizing some of my basic needs. Like I'm home all the time. I don't really do anything. So I don't really take care of myself. Like I don't find the motivation to like get up, wash my hair. And like that to me is a straight chore. I hate it. Like washing my hair and washing up, it's a chore. And cooking for myself, the biggest chore. Cleaning my house, a huge chore. It's all of these things that don't excite me. So it's really hard for me to prioritize them. But I have to take accountability for that because these are basic needs that are important. I need to eat. I need to wash up. I need to clean my house to make sure my space is clean. And let me tell you, my my house is not filth, okay? I promise you that. I do not live in filth. But it's just these things that I really just wish I didn't have to do. But I know that I need to do them for my well-being. And I think another way that we can self-abandon ourselves is by people-pleasing, right? It's when you say yes to things that you really want to say no to, or we overgive to everybody around us, and we don't really get anything in return, We're pouring from an empty cup. We're trying to meet the expectations of everybody else. And in that process, we're not even meeting our own expectations. We're forgetting about what we want, what we desire. You're You're literally burning yourself out. And then like, 
it gets to a point sometimes I think where people don't even realize they're burnt out and they're like anxious and having anxiety attacks and like they sleep and they feel like they didn't rest at all. And like you said, even to the point of maybe like where your normal daily like chores and tasks become more of like a burden than like, oh, like I need to keep my space clean type of thing. And it's it's because like for too long, you've been like giving too much. Yeah, exactly. So what's interesting about this people-pleasing loop that a lot of us are stuck in, I was doing a lot of self-reflection on this. And you know how we talked about in a really like a long time ago episode, how people-pleasing is also a form of manipulation because you're trying to manipulate and control the outcome of a situation, right? You don't want people to be mad at you. So you do things you don't want to do in order to manipulate that outcome so that they're not mad at you. But what you're actually, yeah, and what you're actually doing too is you're not being your authentic self and you're actually being a person who you're actually not. So you're not being honest with the ones that you love. You're not being honest with yourself. You're essentially lying to the people around you. That's exhausting. Yeah. And so being mindful of this and recognizing this and then working through your fears surrounding this and why you people please in general, I think is really important. It takes time because like, I feel like what happens with a lot of people pleasers is like, it takes them a long time to even realize that that's where they're at because for so long they fill up their space with the needs of others or things that they feel like they don't even realize, but things that they feel obligated to do. And then it takes them like a really, really long time of like living that way before they give themselves like a vacation or something. And they're like, wow, I'm so misaligned and tired. And, and even then, sometimes I think people don't realize like that that's what's causing the problem. There's even what I'm trying to basically say is that there's a point where even like Before people get in touch with the concept of reflecting and giving themselves that space, they're just like existing and that that they don't recognize that this is what's going on and this is the pattern. Yeah, no, a lot of people don't recognize it for sure. And I didn't recognize it for a really long time until I went to therapy and essentially unpacked and worked through a lot of my own people-pleasing tendencies and where that stemmed from. And like always, it always stems back to childhood, no surprise there. (laughs) But it's like, it's really interesting. I feel as if almost all of us, like a lot of us have this, this issue, right? Because growing up as a child, we're told like, you have to do what I say, or else I'm going to be mad at you. You're going to be in trouble. I'm going to punish you. You can't speak up. If you start speaking up about your own needs, your own wants, your own desires, it's either no, it's, you know, that doesn't matter. These are my rules. This is my house. I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. That kind of like mentality. The whole mentality of like, because you're a child, what you, like your opinion, basically it's the whole concept of like, you're the child. So you don't have, you're not even allowed to have an opinion about like what's going on, how things are being run, what we're doing. And I feel like that's a really old way to think, because if you think in terms of just like people being enough themselves and like that being a reason why someone just like baseline deserves like respect and dignity then kids do too and i'm not saying that like your kids should dictate your whole life but like for instance like if you're a planner 
right? And you're like planning like, you know, groceries for your family and you're going to go out and buy groceries. You're not going to just go buy groceries and make a bunch of things that like your husband doesn't like. So why would you do that to your kid? Mm, Yeah, exactly. You know, they're not going to eat it. And then you're going to also fight with yourself. So why not have like a quick one hour family meeting and be like, okay, like these are my ideas. This is what I want to buy. This is what I want to cook. It's easy. It's simple. It works for me. Are you going to eat it? Yes or no. And then like, if they don't eat something, why is it such a hassle to like come up as a family? There's so much value in that because it teaches your kid cooperation. It teaches them planning. It teaches them how to be prepared and cook. It teaches them so many things in that one lesson of working as a cohesive group as a family. And then they also feel like they're being considered which teaches them self-value so that when they go out into the world as an adult and they have to work in in that type of environment, they don't get walked all over. They actually can like function in their job. They can work as a group. Like there's so much value in that. Oh yeah. And the value in itself is the the fact that they will know how to communicate Mm-hmm. communicate their needs. I feel like that all stems back to self-care too, because then like they as an adult can recognize when they need something and they can have that internal dialogue and that boundary and that conversation with themselves of like, okay, like I want to be able to do these things and want to commit to these things, but I'm just not in that place right now. Mm-hmm. And it makes them comfortable. It's It's a learning experience. It kind of like dials them up to that point of adulthood where they can be like, you know, this is something I would love to do, but I'm just not there yet. And they don't have to feel shame and guilt around prioritizing self-care or rest. They just exist in that space. And it's such a much more healthy place because I know you and I exist in a space where like we've had to really get to being okay with resting and taking breaks. And we still struggle because we feel like shame and guilt for like you were saying, and I've been saying, like not prioritizing things that are quote unquote important. Yeah, exactly. And the thing about people pleasing as well is that oftentimes you're going to attract people into your life that are not in alignment with you, right? Because who you are, you're not actually being when you're people pleasing. You're putting on this mask, you're putting on this front. And then when you take that off, when you're finally like, okay, you know what? I'm going to step into my power, right? I'm going to let go of people pleasing. And then all of a sudden people around you are like, not happy. Well, do you blame them? Because at this point, you're the one that was kind of lying to them the whole time being somebody that you're not. So of course, you're going to attract people who are not going to align with your authentic self, because essentially, you're not actually being that version of yourself. So the more you're honest with yourself, the more that you're showing up and being who you authentically are, you're going to attract authentic connections where you're not having to put on a front and be somebody that you're not. And it's going to feel so much better. Your relationships are going to be a lot more healthier when you're just allowing yourself to be who you are and not pretending to be somebody who you're not. And Mm -hmm. that's a harsh reality I had to learn. That's, yeah, I feel like too, like, I mean, I'm speaking from like, you know, obviously like a step taken back, but I feel like too, you got to a place where you were like super exhausted and super burnt out and depressed and you were really just like not doing any of the things that you need to do to take care of yourself because you were giving so much to other people. And it's strange because now that I say that out loud, I feel like maybe you're still in that cycle but now you're giving it all to your work Mm -hmm. you're still not giving yourself to your 
yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Like before I was, I was giving a lot to my job, but also other people at the same time where I was like, all right, they need me. I'm going to be there right now. Like 100%. I'm going to say yes, because that's what I need to do. I need to show up for them. And now it's like, I know how to set my boundaries. I'm still doing my own work, of course. And on top of that, though, I'm obsessed with my job. I'm obsessed with what I do. (laughs) And so it's really hard. So it's not like I'm really people pleasing in my career, but more so I'm not setting proper work-life boundaries and I'm allowing myself to get easily consumed by it because I enjoy it so much. And on top of that, I feel as if I really don't have anything else I need to be doing. Like I still make times for friends when they ask or when they want to, but at the end of the day, it's like, what else am I going to do? Like, that's my thought process. What else am I going to do? I have nothing else to do. I don't have a child. I don't have, Josh takes care of himself. I'm not here to be his mother, right? And he's totally (laughs) fine with that. We have our quality time when we're, we want it and there's nothing wrong with that. We have our moments every day, but yeah, I need to be realistic with myself about setting boundaries so that I'm not allowing work to consume my life. And that's, that's hard when you really enjoy your job, I think. And also on top of that, I think there was one last thing I wanted to say about the whole people pleasing thing. I think that it's really important to be honest with ourselves about why we are choosing to give our energy, right? Because I feel as if sometimes when we get into the people pleasing tendencies, we're giving to people out of fear or out of a certain expectation, instead of actually giving because we want to, and then that will lead to resentment. So when you're over giving to someone, I think it's really important to self-reflect and be like, well, why am I doing this? Am I giving to them because I genuinely want to just give to them? Or am I giving to them because I'm hoping that they're going to give to me in return? So I'm Mm -hmm. setting an expectation for them. Or is it like obligatory? Where now it's almost like you're giving your energy under like, a guise and it's almost like then whatever you're getting back is actually draining Mm -hmm. and you're draining because you're giving for the wrong reason and you're receiving like almost like receiving like a negative energy instead of just like opening a very holistic space but that also I think contributes to learning to recognize who you're spending your time with Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think for a really long time before when I was stuck in my people pleasing ways, a lot of the reason as to why I would overgive was because like, I genuinely do like helping people. I really do. But at the same time back then, I've also had fears of judgment. Like, oh, if I don't do this, are they going to think I'm a bad friend? Oh, if I don't do this, are they going to think that like, you know, I'm not worthy to be in their life because I add no value to them unless I'm actually helping them or overextending myself. Mm, like almost learning that like your value comes from what you do for people and yeah. not like being in their life exactly exactly and again, really yeah and struggling with abandonment wounds in general like if I'm not doing this for them are they going to leave me I think that also ties into an interesting concept I was listening to an audiobook a few weeks ago that was talking about this generalized concept of like our society pushing this notion of like, you don't just need rest, right? Like rest is not something you just like at baseline need. It's something that you have to earn. And that whole mentality that like corporate America has pushed on people. 
And it almost relates, I think, in the same way, because it's like, you don't deserve to be in people's lives unless you're contributing something. But that's not true. You deserve to be in someone's life because you're a good person. And you yourself, as that person, adds value. Yeah. Whereas like rest is required and you don't need a reason for why you why you need to rest. You're just tired. Just rest. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's like about uh listening to your body, right? Because if you're not listening to your body, that's also self-abandonment. You mm-hmm. need to listen to your body. When you're tired, you need to sleep. And, and we've had this conversation because you've been super tired and drained recently. And you know had a lot of like cosmic physical emotional things going on in the background it's just really draining the I will say the nicest thing is having people like you or my partner in my life who are just like yeah just you know it's okay that you're sleeping and you're really tired just do it and I'm just like okay you're like okay not tell me twice I'm asleep <laughs> I'm like okay bye taking a nap but yeah it's it's so important and I think for you in general you know you had a huge change to your life in so many ways all at once, you know, from loss to all of a sudden changing up your entire lifestyle from, you know, being awake at in the morning and going to bed at a decent time to now having to work overnight shifts and have having to kind of adjust to that schedule. I feel like your body was like, holy shit. It. This yeah. is a huge lifestyle adjustment change. On top of that, your body's also processing heavy emotions. That is freaking draining. Yeah. And then there's like the actual physicality of like what I do for work. And then and the she em- just said that as she's yawning, by the way. Yeah. yeah. So I definitely think like if I'm truthful with myself, I won't be staying on night nursing for, you know, obviously long term. I think my husband and I have both talked about maybe doing this for like one more year and then switching and being like, yeah, we need to work days because it's just, it's being up all night and then sleeping all day is not aligned with being human. We are not nocturnal animals or we are, I think that's a double negative because not anyway so it's just like I will probably switch to days at some point because it's just gonna align better and I think I will be less tired when that happens maybe not initially but yeah your body might be like oh shit what's happening it's happening again (laughs) right but also like a lot of the time too we end up inadvertently switching back to sleeping at night and being awake during the day on our off days which is also can be really draining and then I take lots of daytime naps. So if I've learned anything from nursing, it's just that you take the breaks when you can, you sleep when you're tired, you have to prioritize what's most important to you at that time when you need it. So like if eating is what's your priority and doing chores around the house is your priority, then you do that that day. If the next day you wake up and you're tired and like being social is your priority, then be a little social. For me lately, being social is literally the last thing I care about. (laughs) Rest in my house are probably the most two most important things. So I just spend the energy I do have on those things and then spend them with my partner. Yeah. And all I really I don't have the capacity to like go out with friends. Even sometimes the thought of like my husband will be like, do you want to go to dinner? And I'm like, ew, not unless it's with anyone except for you. (laughs) <laughs> you're like I don't have the energy to like socialize I don't even want people to come over because I'm like I don't have it in me to like hostess yeah so I don't want to do it 
Yeah, no, that is so important. Just checking in with what you need and not overextending your your energy when you don't have it. So Mm -hmm. you being self-aware of being like, no, I cannot socialize right now and setting that boundary and not socializing. That's, yeah, that's super important. And I think another way that we can really self-abandon ourselves is when those emotions do come up. Like when, for example, you're like, oh, I don't feel like socializing, but then all of a sudden- your mind starts saying like, oh my gosh, like, come on, just, just go do it. Just, you know, go out, socialize just for a little, you can do it, just do it. And like, you start like either shaming or guilting yourself into doing things that you don't want to do because you feel like you're obligated to, or there's this expectation being put onto you by your friends that like, if you say no, they're going to be mad at you, or they're going to forget about you and never want to hang out with you again. Right. Because I think that's a fear for me is like, if I start saying no to things, I'm afraid you know, they won't ever extend the invite again. And you know, I've seen that happen. You know, it's interesting now that you bring this up. It's like making me think about the way that I grew up. So my mom was very much like manipulative in this sense that like, if you didn't want to do something or you were too tired or you didn't have the energy, whatever. And she really wanted it done for her or by you and you said no she would manipulate the situation several ways she would she couldn't physically manipulate you she would manipulate the narrative about you to other people she would manipulate you with gifts prizes money if she had it at the time or she would manipulate you by isolating you and so I think because she did that as I was growing up obviously it has other negative effects we could get into but As an adult, it kind of paid off a little bit because now I don't have a problem saying I'm not going to do that. And if you don't like that, I'm not going to do that. And you have like some kind of weird retaliation, then I don't give a shit. That's your problem. And obviously you're not worth my time. No, and and that's true. And and I love that you're able to become aware of the manipulation that people use when somebody says no or expresses that boundary. Because like you said, there were tons of manipulation tactics by parents, money or bribery, especially like, for example, it could be something as simple as a parent wanting their kid to eat a food and the kid says no. And they're like, okay, well then no ice cream for you then. Or, you know, well, if you eat this, you'll get ice cream after, you know, that bribery manipulation in order for them to change their mind about the no that they had said and the guilt or the shaming. I see this a lot even in adulthood where there's parents, unfortunately, who will guilt their children still to this day, their adult children into doing things like, oh, like I'm your mother and I raised you and I did so much for you growing up and like you can't do this one thing for me. And half the time it's not even like Uh, no, I'm never going to do this. But like, no, I can't do this today. Unfortunately, I'm busy. I can do it a different day. Yeah, there's like an interesting account. I don't remember the name of it that I follow on Instagram where it kind of highlights this whole mentality too of like, it's like a girl, I think she's a therapist. And she does like a skit where obviously both all of the people in the skit are her, but it's like her as the kid and then on one side of the phone and then the adult and the mom is just like oh my god I can't believe you called me thank you so much for calling I never hear from you and then the whole time that they have a conversation the parent talks about herself and when the kid tries to bring anything up the parent is so self-involved that they redirect the conversation back towards them and it's just like this whole guilt trip to around like oh you finally called me and it's this huge emphasis on it and it's just like "Mm mm-hmm it also works two ways. Have you called it's just me? Like, 
also like guilting and shaming someone's when they like do finally reach out yeah it makes them not feel icky we don't want to reach out again because we're like okay well i'm not gonna reach out more because i'm not gonna get guilted and shamed even more i'm just gonna do it less yeah it makes people want to run away for sure i get that that that's so true i think it's so important to just be mindful right and this kind of comes back to the point of creating safe spaces and not only for ourselves but also safe spaces where people feel like they can communicate with us, right? Mm -hmm. So if somebody, for example, in that example, if somebody is calling you, you know, why do you have to guilt them and make them feel bad for finally calling you? Instead, you can communicate your needs in a way that's not passive aggressive. Right. You could be like, hey, I love you. Thank you for calling me. I really, really love to like I would love to talk more. Yeah. When are you free? Is there a way that we could set up like a day and time of the week that works for you where we could chat for, you know, 20, 30 minutes that, you know, we could both kind of like commit to and prioritize. Yeah. There's being other healthy ways. And healthy and communicating your needs. That's so, so important in creating that safe space because if you're going to be passive aggressive with me, it's not going to work. Right. It's going to be battle of the egos i think family therapy is much more important than people think because i think there's a lot of things right you don't want to admit that like what you did as a parent is like not right or like even okay i have like secret guilty pleasures so i watched the kardashians and they were talking recently on this episode about how like they're all control freaks and Chris Jenner was like, yeah, everything's my fault. It's always my fault, like the way that they are. And it's like, I don't, I get it. It's got to be frustrating, frustrating as a parent to like hear childhood trauma causes both negative and positive effects of like how your kids turned out. But at the same time, that mentality of like, oh, it's my fault. Everything's my fault as the parent isn't actually going to strengthen your relationship you can't guilt and shame yourself on the other side of that spectrum as the parent about the way that things worked out they worked out the way that they did but what's important is you could be open to and i posted this on facebook let me read the quote so don't mess it up it was normalize i'm willing to work on that instead of that's just how i am Mm. a lot of the mentality of our parents generation i think of well that's just how i am that's just how it happened that's just how it you know turned out and it's like instead of doing that we could normalize okay like let me work on that like you're actually I actually like if you there are people in my life I would I think I'm like afraid of conflict but I would love to look at them while they're being passive aggressive and be like do you realize that the way that your tone and your demeanor and the verbiage of what you're saying is coming off as passive aggressive and if you actually just worked on that I would spend more time with you. Yeah, no, it's 100% true. And I think that's what it is. A lot of people struggle with taking accountability because like it kind of makes them feel bad about themselves. And that some some people don't want to have to face their shadow side. And I think that's also really important when it comes to creating a safe space with yourself and, you know, not self-abandoning yourself is to make peace with your shadow side. We all have parts of us that maybe aren't the healthiest. There's things that we've done. There's things that we do. We don't always mean it. But it happens and we do it. And just taking accountability for that instead of rejecting that and acting as if we didn't do it or as if 
you know, we don't want to acknowledge our wrongs. That is what's going to create a healthier relationship with yourself. Because I know that there's tons of things that I have done in the past. And sometimes I do them now without realizing because it is just a response. It's Mm. that emotional response that you really have to get under control. And that's hard to do. But if you're able to self-reflect and say, oh, shit, I did not handle that in the best way. Let me take accountability for that. I really apologize for coming off that way. Yeah, just like recognizing. I think it also like at baseline, it's it's communication. And there's like all this focus, I think, on like marital communication. But I think it's with like it's with friends and family and parents and siblings and literally in every aspect of your life good communication is important, not just in your marriage. Cause it's like, sometimes I think we're also talking at cross purposes. So like you might be explaining something to me, right. And we're friends and it might be something really simple. Okay. So let's take an actual experience that we had together. That was like turned into an argument that time we tried to reach the beach. When I, I came to visit, we had plans to go to the beach And then I forget what happened, but basically I just got like frustrated because I felt like you were saying you didn't want to go to the beach because like we had to get gas and you didn't want to drive your car. And like, there were all these things that you were, you were like just highlighting that like you needed to either have done or you needed to figure out. And in that moment, all I was hearing was, I don't actually want to go to the beach. So I was like trying to guess what you were thinking. Instead of asking you straight out. So then I just got mad and I was like, fine, we don't have to fucking go. And you were like, wait, that's not what I was saying. Yeah, we had like miscommunication there because there was these assumptions placed. And then also, I think maybe me as well, not communicating clearly either. We both had to take accountability in that conversation, right? Because oftentimes it's not just one person, it's two people. And each of them have their own part of the problem. Mm -hmm. A people pleaser, for example, they still have issues that are their fault as well. Doing things they don't want to do and then being resentful for it. Well, what the heck? Why didn't you just tell me you didn't want to do it? (laughs) Right. And the other person's like, well, what the hell? Why are you like mad at me about it now? Yeah. It's interesting, though, because when you bring in that conversation, like you were saying, of creating a safe space. There are certain people, I think, in your life, and I think you should hold on to these people, that you can actually have conversations like like you and I are having now, where we can look at it and see where our miscommunication went so that we can work on communicating in a healthier way moving forward, where we're like understanding and hearing each other. But it takes work from both sides. So that's really difficult because I know there are situations that arise where like not both sides are willing to work on it. Like my relationship with my mom, she was never willing to actually work on herself and change. So that relationship never got better because we could never fully communicate. She was never fully listening. Yeah, 100%. And that is when you have to check in with yourself and be like, okay, is this worth it to keep this relationship in my life? Is it fulfilling? Does it feel good? If not, then, then, nope. then you got to deal with the, um, when you deal with people like that, who are manipulative, like I said, if they can no longer manipulate you and you decide to cut them out of your life, be prepared that. And I sent this to my sister the other day. When people can't manipulate you anymore, they'll manipulate the narrative about you. Oh, 100%. And that is when, you know, I saw another quote. There are so many different versions of us that exist out there because everybody 
has a different perspective of who we are, right? So one person, one person's perspective of me could be that I'm really nice and I'm willing to be helpful and, you know, whatever. And then somebody else's perspective could be that I'm a total bitch and that I'm not willing to help or whatever. So it's like all these versions of you exist in everybody else's mind. And the version of you that exists is a perception based on somebody else's own life experiences and their own like reality. So it's important to have that healthy relationship with yourself. Otherwise, you're going to allow these perceptions that people have of you kind of tell you who you are. Oh, they sink into who you think you are. You know, I feel like that's a very powerful thing to learn as a kid as well. And I didn't learn this as an adult, that some of the hardwired ways that you are or what you perceive as like hardwired ways of how you like conduct yourself and act or even trauma responses as an adult are forced narratives that were forced on you by other people about who you were when you were a kid. Mm. Because at, when you're a kid, you're like, well, they're adults. They must know everything, right? And until you're an adult, you don't realize that they have no fucking clue what they're talking about. Exactly. They're basically full-grown children with no idea. Yeah. And so you take what they're saying as like Bible. You're mm-hmm. like, this has to be true, right? They're an adult. They know what they're talking about. And then you become an adult. Like I said, you realize they have no idea what they're talking about. And you're like, oh my God, I think I'm a dork and I'm nerdy. Because someone repeatedly said that to me multiple times when I was a kid. And I believe them. And I'm and I like internalize that as like part of who I am. Yeah. That's not who I am. No, yeah. It's a lot I just enjoy learning. Like, why does that make me? And then you're like, and then you have to unpack all of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a a long time. (laughs) It's a lot. And another interesting thing about perception is that. I also believe multiple realities exist, right? So like, for example, I mean, technically multiple realities exist anyway, in a base form, not even like a physics, like first dimension, second dimension, third, fourth, whatever dimensions. But like, think about the generalized concept of how like, okay, we're getting philosophical, but it exists because in, in one dimension, right, you're a wife. And in one dimension, you're an entrepreneur. And in one dimension, you're a best friend. And then in another dimension, you're a person who's like working on like growing and developing, who's also struggling while they do that. And it's a spectrum of like your entire existence all in, that could be in five minutes. That could all exist in a five minute bracket period of time, especially with the access of like the internet and your phone and people having access to you. That's a lot to take (laughs) in all at once. Absolutely. And when we're dealing with conflict, for example, multiple realities exist. So for example, as a kid, when I would have conflict with my dad, okay, let's go back to the one where he left me in the parking lot. Well, in his mind, that didn't happen. So his reality is like, oh, I don't remember that happening because at that moment, he was really stressed out, struggling with, you know, his own problems, his own life, going through a divorce, trying to figure out his love life lacking self-love totally and completely and looking for it in other partners and then also struggling with you know addiction to pills kind of blurred his mind a little bit and then for me that reality was okay my dad doesn't love me he's mad at me because I spoke up he cares about this other woman more than me and now he just left me here and this shows to me that 
I'm not important to him. And that was my reality of perceiving the conflict at hand. Another example of this is there's a show that I watched. It was called oh, Love is TV Blind. shows do this so well. Oh, there's yeah. So many TV. It was, I think it was more common in the 90s. So like Boy Meets World, Lizzie McGuire type of era. Where like there'd be a conflict and the show would show you the conflict from both people who were in the conflict's reality of what yes. happened. And then it would show you what actually happened. Yes. I think even Sister Sister did like a really good episode on this. And it's wild because... 90s shows used to have a ton of like substance to them if you really watch them closely, which I don't know. I don't feel like shows do all that much anymore. But anyway, it's just you look at it and you're like, wow, there's actually if you think about it, you're like, wow, there's this whole reality of like a conflict could be how I see it, how the other person sees it. And then somewhere in the middle lies the truth. Yeah. So this so listening to this example Love is Blind did this pretty well. And this was one that was super controversial and created a huge uproar. So they proposed to each other without even seeing each other first, right? Then they saw each other after whatever. They were living together for a little bit and there was this conflict that happened. They were supposed to go out to eat and eat like at this steak place, I think it was. I honestly don't remember because it's a couple episodes, seasons ago. But they were supposed to go out to eat and have like this big dinner. And she decided that she wanted to like eat an orange right before And so the guy comes over and like jokingly says, oh, you better save your appetite. Like, are you going to eat that? You better save your appetite. And she internalized that situation as he's calling me fat. He's telling me not to eat. He's body shaming me. And for him, like his perspective, his reality was he was just saying like, you better save your appetite for our big meal that we're about to go eat. Mm. He didn't see it that way. But because she has her own wounds related to like body image issues, and she's really sensitive Mm -hmm. about that food, she took that as an attack on her body and him trying to control what she eats. Mm. so those two realities existed and somewhere in the middle is like he probably didn't mean it that way but I understand why you took it that way because you do have you know whatever wounds you're trying to work through and process and that's where communication is key right like hey like I know you probably didn't mean that in like a malicious way but I just want you to know that I am really sensitive about food in my body and I just want to make sure that you know that so like moving forward you can be more aware of that like I just think that's really important yeah I think it's so important But I feel like all of this leads back to that generalized concept that it has to be like two people who are both working. Because right, like if she doesn't even recognize that she has triggers and trauma around body shaming and being body shamed and when were those first moments where she felt body shamed and who was it and why does it still stick with her and why is that her narrative of of who she is and internalizing it, then the actual progression and growth of their communication and and their relationship in general is not going to work. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that like my husband and I, or even you and I, or even my sister and I have to work on in terms of like, okay, like we're both work actively working on like being able to say, Hey, this bothers me because of X, Y, and Z. And I know that you didn't cause those things, but they still affect me because of like this prior issue. And 
I'm still actively working on it. So I'm sorry that it's like, you know, a weird thing, but it's a thing. Yeah. And the other person, this is where the safe space is coming in where the other person is like, Oh, I could see how that experience would do that. And how mm-hmm. what I did could like trigger that my bad, like, let's like, yeah. I'm glad that you shared, like, let's work on that. Exactly. And it really is so important for the other person to have some sense of empathy, to be able to put themselves in your shoes and see the perspective of how it would bother you. Right. Without like judgment. And then there's this whole, like, that could even drag me into the whole conversation of like, oh, this generation's so soft. We just dealt with it. It's like, why do you have all these mental health problems? And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about how the majority of the age bracket of suicidal ideation and suicide attempts that we see in statistics are the age brackets that aren't addressing mental health and had that concept of, oh, we're tough as nails. We're just going to kind of like deal with it. And you know exactly. what that mentality is, is not addressing running. problems it's running from yourself. That's what, yeah, yeah it's literally self-abandonment right there. We're not soft. Abandoning we just want to grow and do better. Yeah. So this because is how we're trying to do it. Self-abandonment can look like not addressing your problems, ignoring your feelings, pushing them away, uh, distracting yourself with other things, whether it's literally work. Oh, That's oh, what a lot of people do. Oh, older people drink. Yep, drinking, drugs, chasing Even after relationships, losing your having kids, having kids just to hide from like yep. self growth. There are so many people I know who have kids and then have more and more kids, and they just they're running from they're creating more responsibility so that they can hide from their friggin' selves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think it's just so important to have people become aware of how they're actually abandoning themselves by ignoring their feelings, their problems and working through their triggers. Yeah. I don't think trying to better yourself and um, having boundaries makes people weak. No. I I do think that there's like, obviously there's a line, right? Like sometimes you can't just be like, oh, my boundary is that I'm never going to work. I mean, that's not realistic. Oh, no. Yeah, you have to like, I mean, there's a there's a limit, right? But like, you got to find balance. Yeah. And I think there's also a balance between feeling your emotions and recognizing what's going on. But then there's also a point where you need to not make yourself the victim constantly and like Mm -hmm. getting stuck in the victim mentality, because that is I see this happen far too often or people turn to really like negative mindsets. Like I hate men. All men are toxic because, you know, every, every guy I've ever dated has done me wrong, has lied to me, cheated on me, was mean to me, like abusive, all these things. And then it creates this unhealthy mindset of like every guy, every man is toxic, no matter who they are. And it's like, it also, well, then that also like, you're also like manifesting then that every guy you come in contact with is going to be that way. Yeah, you're setting that expectation. Yes, and then like you're even manifesting like that you're going to find that type of person because you're manifesting that that's all that exists. Mm -hmm. And then if you you self-sabotage love. Yeah, it's like a whole vicious cycle. And it, it all goes back to what Trevor would call the bottom line, which is that you have to ask yourself like where these initial impressions came in, where this narrative started, why you have that outlook and working on 
your own thinking and how that's gonna play into everything. And you're just like, it's tough. It's tough because like you and I want to help people so much, but really it is in a way like dealing with someone who has an addiction and these people have to want more and want growth and better themselves for themselves. And they have to start the journey. You can influence them. You can plant seeds. You can have podcasts. You can do it for a living and other people in your life still won't do it. But people have to start that journey for themselves. Mm-hmm. We can't like force them to do it. No, so true. So true. Well, to end this episode, I figured let's share some tips on how to actually create a safe space for yourself. Mm. And so I figured I'll mention one, then you mention one, then I'll mention one. We can go until we like feel like we've said enough. (laughs) (laughs) So the first one that I think is really important for creating a safe space for yourself is to be mindful of your inner dialogue. because it's yeah it's so easy to be super self-critical or shamey or guilty so when you have emotions and feelings come up how are you talking to yourself about those emotions are you saying oh my gosh I shouldn't be feeling this way it's so ridiculous that I'm upset about this are you saying like I'm not worthy of x y or z are you shaming yourself in that kind of way are you shaming yourself for taking a nap for not being productive how are you talking to yourself Mm. that's really important yeah I think you're right like recognizing is the first biggest step I will say that it's taken a lot of like external influence and then some internal drive but the other thing that I would just say is like once once you've gotten on a healthy pattern of recognizing it I would then say, start journaling about it and just start writing everything. Because for instance, I struggle with a lot of self-confidence issues and believing that like I'm worthy or I'm enough or believing that, you know, when someone's upset, it's not because of me and internalizing and all that stuff. And so one thing that's really helped me is I've started journaling more about, okay, well, like, here's this narrative I have in my head about myself. I've recognized it. Now, what are some of my earliest memories of when I started hearing that? And who's it tied to? And what's the experience tied to it? And why do I think that? And what do I actually think about myself? And I write that out. And it's very cathartic because you can see when those first few times happened, how you would internalize that about yourself. And then you can almost at the end of that exercise, rewrite history by rewriting like, That's not actually who I am or what I want to be. And that's not how I view myself either. So it's almost like you can take that back. And that doesn't mean that the narrative won't stop in your head. It's just a way to start to kind of have a second voice in your head that's kind of fighting back. Yeah. And even just like you said, recognizing it and becoming aware when it's written out in front of you, you're able to really see it which is, I think, super helpful. And I think another way to create a safe space is to start trusting yourself. Stop looking for validation in everybody else. Stop asking people how to live your life. If you want to do something, why don't you just freaking do it? Why do you ask for opinions? Because that can create self-doubt or, you know, second guessing yourself. So really learning how to trust and value and honor your intuition and your own gut, I think is just so important. I would second that like times a million. 
The other thing that's really helpful that actually my macro coach influences, I think all of her clients to do are daily or weekly. She really encourages uh, daily, but our affirmations. And it's like this weird concept, I think that a lot of us don't feel comfortable with, but I personally also kind of felt that way. So what I really like to do is I incorporate mine with my yoga practice. So it feels more authentic in that I'm not like staring in the mirror, just like repeating something to myself. Cause I feel like that almost feels more phony, if that makes sense. Almost like forced. Um, yeah. Like forced. Exactly. Exactly. Whereas like when I'm in yoga state and I'm like flowing with the movement of my body, it feels more natural to do the affirmations. So finding out, I think what works for you in terms of affirmations and then doing them. Oh, I, I love that. I think part of the problem too, and you and I can both attest to this, is just starting to do the things. Mm -hmm. That's like 90% of the battle, right? Because you know these tips, it's doing them. It's actually doing them, following through with it. Actually doing them, yeah. Yeah, keeping your, holding yourself accountable. And shame and guilt. Yes, exactly. And so that kind of takes me to my next point here, which like I was saying before, mistakes are inevitable. We're all going to make mistakes. So I think it's really important to create a healthy space for yourself to own up and address your mistakes. And a really important thing, a way to do this, I think, is when you make a mistake, instead of really shaming and guilting yourself, have compassion for yourself. Reflect on why the mistake maybe happened. You know, if you lied to someone and you got caught lying, for example, all right, well, reflect why did you feel like you had a lie where does that stem from and let's say for example you're a parent right we're talking about the whole parenting thing and parents not taking accountability because they feel so shameful when they do when they do so so how do you address that as a parent now i'm not a parent so i I can't really speak so much on that part but in my opinion i think it would be really important to you know, have compassion for yourself. All right, I didn't show up for my child the way they needed me to. Was it because I don't love them? Absolutely not. It's because I wasn't taught properly how to do so. So let me acknowledge that. And let me take the time now to understand and learn how I can become a parent who is meeting my child's needs. Can I ask them what they need from me and then show up that way without really sitting there guilting and shaming yourself for making those mistakes or for not showing up in a certain way. Because the more you guilt and shame yourself, the less you're going to want to take accountability. And that's going to create that disconnection from you and your child. Yeah, it just creates more more and more empty space. Mm-hmm. I would say too, like, in ter- it's, it's sort of related to what you're struggling with, which is like, you have things you feel are like obligatory that you don't want to do, but you know you need to do. And I... I get in these same like pattern loop patterns. I think one of the ways that I have started to, because they say like your habits are what drive you, right? So like if you get up and you immediately start working and that's what fuels you, right? You're going to just, you're going to keep doing that. Uh, One of the things that like I started doing is like, I need to stretch and do yoga. I don't necessarily want to do that. When I first wake up, I would rather just like mosey about, scroll on my phone, right? Because it like, it's an addiction and it feels good, but like stretching, right? And stretching is like obligatory. I know I need to do it. So one of the things that I do is like, I tie it in with something that I enjoy or 
I make it the first thing that I get done, right? So like if I wake up and I know I want coffee, if I'm going to have my coffee, I have my coffee with my yoga and stretching. And that's the first thing that I do because then it's done. It's completely off my plate. I don't have to do it again. It's just done. So that would be one of my tips is like, if you're struggling with something you feel is like obligatory and you don't want to do it, tie it to a reward system and do it first. Mm Mm-hmm. And then when it's done, it's done. You can do whatever you want after that. You don't have to do it again. That's a great tip. And also, I don't think people realize just how important it is the way that you start your day, because that is literally what makes a huge difference. If you start your day by waking up saying like, oh my God, I have to go to work again. Like, I really don't want to do this. You're setting the tone for the day to be literally miserable. You want to start the day doing something that will bring you either fulfillment or that will make you feel refreshed, rejuvenized, that will start you on a happy note and try to really reframe your mind. Like, I get it. For gratitude. Yeah, there's so many people out there who hate their job and I get it. One, I would say, why do you stay in your job? And what are the fears you have behind as to why you can't choose a different job? Word. You know, that's so important, so important to reflect on. And two, if you are needing to be in this job right now and you have no other option, I totally understand that. Is there a way that you can reframe your mind so that you're not completely consuming so much negativity into your life, especially surrounding your career? How can you find ways to make your environment more fulfilling, your work more fulfilling? And that's hard to do. But again, it's, it's always, it always comes back to ourselves. We have to take accountability for how we keep ourselves in situations that are not fulfilling us. It's fear most of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Being truthful, being truthful, being completely truthful with yourself, recognizing your shadow self, and then recognizing why you're stuck. Mm-hmm. I think gratitude plays a huge part. Recently, I was talking to my partner about how even lately, I've been struggling with the concept of like working and feeling like, oh, I have to go to work again. And that whole mentality. And I told him, I was like, you know, I really forget that I wanted this job. I chose this job. I wanted to be a nurse specifically because you work three 12 hour shifts and then you have four days off and I'm forgetting the balance that that gives me to my life in a lot of ways, the opportunities that can arise because I have so much free time. Like I have time to do this for instance. And also that like, ultimately you think, I think sometimes when you have a job, you're like, Oh, I have to work this day and this day from this time and this time. And it feels like someone else is controlling your life. But you have to remember that in in the type of like gratitude way that you wanted this and you chose it for a reason and you actually dictated your schedule and realizing that you can, and there's two things I think that can result from that. You can either feel fulfilled by that concept of like, oh, I actually did choose this for myself and I I do want this. Or you might even do what you said, which is like, you think that gratitude of like, okay, I chose this, but it's also not, it's not aligning with me and serving me anymore. So why? And starting down that whole rabbit hole. Oh yeah. And figuring out what it is you really want to pursue And then working through the fears as to why you believe you can't pursue that. Because a lot of the times, why do people stay in jobs that they hate? 
um, because of money. Right. I can't go anywhere else because I need the money. Okay. I get that. You need the money. You, you don't think you can get the money elsewhere? Why? Or, or two, I think the, the bad habit of accumulating and living outside of your means and being really honest with yourself about, do you need those things? Mm. Survive on less? Do you need something brand new? Yeah. Are you finding fulfillment in external material possessions? And maybe they're much more short-lived than if you were actually serving your soul versus serving material things that you need. Absolutely. Um, I would say my last really important tip of advice, which is something I am signing up for this week, is therapy. Was waiting for you to say it. I was like, yes, this girl is going to therapy. She's going to commit to it. Uranus square Mercury is not going to stop her. No, because I can go virtually. (laughs) So I can go from bed if I need to. Love it. Yes. No, seriously, therapy is so helpful. And I think it too is just looking into different forms of therapy and knowing that just because you commit with someone, if you're not vibing, you don't have to keep them. Yeah, it's like shopping for a new car. Yeah. If you don't like that car, you can test drive another one, honey. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, try out different forms of therapy. There are so many different forms of therapy. Talk therapy to brain spotting to behavioral. Yeah, just so many out there. But I definitely think that, yeah, therapy is going to be so life changing. Uh, Well, guys, this is a great episode. We were so excited to be back recording together just one-on-one and sharing our thoughts with you. I hope you found this episode helpful. We love you guys so much. And until next time, have fun thriving. Mm -hmm.